Welcome to Mad Lit Musings, a podcast with Jamie Jo Wright, where we go deeper and ask the tough and dangerous questions. Hi, everyone, and thank you for joining us for another Mad Lit Musings. Today, I'm really excited because we're going to be talking about a subject that's near and dear to my heart because I'm not good at it called work-life balance. And I have with me today, Amanda Cabot. Am I pronouncing your last name correctly? Yes, you are. I Mm -hmm. am. Okay. Amanda Cabot, who publishes delightful historical romance, which I have always long been a fan, but tell us a little bit more about your books and about you, Amanda. Welcome. Oh, welcome. I'm so glad to be here. Although you can hear, I have a frog in my throat today. I'm not (laughs) sure what's, what's causing that. Uh, because I really am excited to talk about um, my new book and about our topic, Work-Life Balance. The Spark of Love is the third of the Mesquite Springs trilogy, which means it's the last one. And it's it was a fun book to write, but in some respects, it was a hard book to write. I think everybody who says, oh, this is my pandemic book, oh, knows what I'm talking about. Absolutely. Because our lives were turned upside down, everything changed, and yet, you know, we're on deadlines and trying to write happy endings when, you know, you're forced to look at horrible statistics of what's happening in the world uh, made it more difficult than some books to write. However, it's the last one. Um, It's the story, well, I'll give you the the brief little write-up on it. Yes. Fearing a spurned suitor, Alexandra Tarkington flees to Mesquite Springs, hoping for a happy reunion with her father. Little does she know that two men have followed her, each with his own agenda, and that the intriguing man she met on the stagecoach is an investigator determined to unmask a con man, her father. Oh my goodness. That's a fabulous hook. Okay. Writing this down, going to order the book when we get off from our conversation. (laughs) There are a lot of things going on and that's part of what made it a challenge to write. And I have, as you could guess from that, two villains. Yes. I haven't done that before and I'm not sure I'll do it again. Uh, (laughs) Trying to make those villains distinctive. I mean, they're very different men. They have different motivations, but having to make that clear to the reader did present a challenge. Um, Well, it kept me busy for the whole time. And uh, now that the book is almost out, I'm excited about it. That sounds extremely exciting. I I love those types of stories. They're the best, especially right now when it's negative 20 degrees in Wisconsin. I love to curl up with those types of stories at night. They're just (laughs) wonderful, wonderful. Now, can you read The Spark of Love as a standalone as well, or do you need to read book one and two first? You can read it as a standalone. Okay. Uh, readers may find it better to have read the first one, the first two, only because the town itself becomes a character and the heroines of books one and two do have roles in book three, but if you just start with it, you will not feel lost. And that's because I have a couple pet peeves. One are books that end with cliffhangers. Yes. I really feel that the author is blackmailing me and forcing me to buy (laughs) the next book. Oh, I hate it. So I won't do that to readers. (laughs) And the other thing that I hate are series where if you don't read them in order, you come in and you feel like you're 
late to a party and everybody knows everybody else and you're the stranger. So I don't do that to my readers either. Um, I yeah, love those explanations. Standalone. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And the other part is when you, they end it with the cliffhanger, you always have to wait nine months to a year, it seems, before you get an yeah. answer. <laughs> I actually have some readers who have, they're much more patient than I am. They will not read any books in a trilogy until all of them have been published. They'll buy them when they come out, but they tell me they're waiting until the last one comes. Quite honestly, I don't know how they can be that patient. I can't. I can't. No, as soon as a book comes out that I want to read, I'm ordering it. Not that I'm reading it right away because it goes on the to be read pile. It's going on the, the TBR pile that's uh, six feet tall at this point. Or yeah, is it I think even it's, higher than that? It's starting to rival Mount Everest over here. I'm going to need oxygen <laughs> to get to the top pretty soon. <laughs> I believe it. Mine's looking like that too. So tell me a little bit. So you wrote this book during the pandemic, which throws a whole other hitch into that concept of work-life balance. So tell me um, a little bit about your thoughts of balancing that work and that wanting to read, wanting to write, have time with family. How have you approached that? Well, it's something I've been doing my whole life because I'm currently retired from my day job and absolutely thrilled about that. Wonderful. But for many, many years, um, I had a day job that kept me busy about 60 hours a week, and I wrote. And trying to have any kind of a balance under those circumstances was a bit of a challenge. And I think that the best way to describe it is to say that it's an issue of time management. Mm -hmm. And that's something nobody wants to talk about. I mean, what a boring subject, time management. But I've actually done workshops for writers on time management and called Getting to the End. You know how we all start our books with a lot of enthusiasm. I mean, we just want to get them finished. And that lasts uh, not to the end. No, it doesn't. (laughs) I can't tell you the number of writers workshops I've gone to writers conferences where people come up and say, you know, I've started 15 books, but I've never finished them. Mm -hmm. And that's finding the balance and to some extent forcing yourself to do things. Um, It means, well, it means a lot of things, but let's go back to the beginning, which says that Work-life balance, everybody says it's important, but I think it's more than that. I think it's essential to keep this balance. And it's essential for two reasons, both physical and mental health, Mm. because we've got to to balance it. And and that always sounds like it's 50-50, you know, 50% life, 50% work. Well, it's not that way. I mean, it'd be great if you could do it 50-50, but it doesn't always work that way. No, it doesn't. (laughs) And what what it means is making time for what's important. And you need to to figure out what is important and set priorities. And that's part of this workshop, getting to the end. It Mm -hmm. says, okay, let's, you know, first of all, analyze where you spend your time. And then set your priorities and figure out what is most important, what has to get done. Because there's always, there's a a trade-off to everything. 
Mm -hmm. And there's this thing called, oh, drawing a total blank on oh, <laughs> opportunity cost. Yes, yes. Okay? And it says that what something costs isn't the dollars and cents involved. It's what you're giving up. And the example that when I first learned about it was you've given a teenager $10. Okay. And he can either buy the CD that he wanted back in the days of CDs. Right. <laughs> or he could go to a movie back when theater tickets were $10. Right. He can't do both. So if he chooses to go to the movie, the cost isn't the $10. It's the CD that he didn't buy. Mm. And that's the opportunity cost. So when we're thinking about balancing our time, we have to think about what is it that we're giving up and need to be willing to give up things to meet those priorities. You know, after we've said, okay, this is essential, finishing the book, you know, if you're under contract, you've got to get that book done yes, on time. Do. Yes. I, mean, I understand some authors don't meet their deadlines. Well, I'm not one of those because I used to negotiate contracts. And I believe, you know, you sign a contract, you're going to adhere to it. Right. And yeah, I mean, there could be extraordinary situations, but most of the time, you know, if, if you say you're going to have something done on March 1st, you better have it done. Right. And that, and that frequently means giving up things you want to do. Mm -hmm. So that's how you get the work part of it done. But then the life part. That's like so, so important because if all we do is work, we're losing an important part of us, mm. which is, you know, there's more to us than work. Yeah. And so that's where you need to set time aside for yourself, taking care of yourself. You need to find time to relax, yeah. to put the work aside. Um, and I find that I need to do that multiple times a day. It may only be 10 minute segments, but I have three times during my work day when I take those 10 to 15 minutes, sit there quietly. I do stretches to get rid of the, the stress in my neck and shoulders because I've discovered that's where I get really tense. Sure. So I've learned some stretches that do that that really work well, you know, I'm there with my eyes closed doing these things. It's amazing what those 10 minutes can do, what a difference they can make. And that's why I say, you know, you have to make time for the things that are important and taking care of your physical health. And in this case, it's all, it's also mental health right. is absolutely essential. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Do you, have you found, um, along with like the stretches and those 10 minutes, have you found um, any type of meditation or prayer or anything that's also helped to center your thought life? Um, yes, of course. Um, beginning the day with prayer, ending it with devotions, meditation, um, and more prayers. But when I turn my computer on, uh, and I'm waiting for it to boot, which does kind of slowly these days. <laughs> I think it's telling me it wants me to replace it. Probably. Um, but the, the booting time is time to close my eyes and pray that my words will bring glory to God. Mm. And that only takes a minute or two. 
but it makes a huge difference. I can feel the peace settling over me. Mm-hmm. And yeah, my words come better when I do that. Yeah, yeah. One of these really important things to do is not to forget that there's a spiritual life yeah. and that we need that connection. Mm-hmm. Have you found now that you are retired from your day job and at home and, and writing, have you found that you have a lot more time to write and a lot more time to do that? Or has all these other things come up that have still threatened that work-life balance? You know, the funny thing is I thought, oh, okay, when I'm retired, I'm going to be much more productive. I'm going to get a whole lot more writing done. Wasn't the case. I mean, I wrote two chapters a week before. I write two chapters a week now. And I thought it was just me. But I was at a conference and one of the speakers was saying he had just retired from teaching. And he said, oh, I knew this was going to be perfect. I was going to have full days to write. Didn't happen. He was used to writing for an hour in the morning before he went to school and then for a couple hours in the evening after he was home from school. That was so ingrained in him that even though he had all this time in between when he was retired, Mm -hmm. he wasn't productive then. He could sit in front of the computer, but he wasn't accomplishing a whole lot. And he realized that he had a writing rhythm. And that told him to write at a specific time. Now, I do write at different times than I did when I was when I was working. I mean, I used to, that was a matter of finding time. I did a lot of traveling for my job. So airports, airplanes, hotels, those were great times to write. Fortunately, I don't have to do that now, but I am most productive in the morning. So that is my writing time. And it winds up being about the same amount of time that I would have had otherwise when I was working. And that's that's part of this whole time management thing is figuring out when are you most productive? Okay. And using that time for writing. Right, right. And finding out <clears throat> that productivity time is sometimes a hit and miss thing where you try different patterns until you fall into mm-hmm. the one that works. Right. And I relate to that a little bit because I was working full-time until last year, right about this time of, of the month I, I came home. Of course, I still have my children at home because we're also homeschooling for the first year because of all the pandemic situations. It's just been better for the kids. But um, now it's that it's that same concept where before I would write late at night or I would write over my lunch break. And now I just feel there's almost no pattern at all that I'm now that I'm home. And so I'm trying to find that rhythm again, where I thought I have all this spare time. (laughs) No, it doesn't work that way. But yeah, finding the rhythm, finding when can you write? And there was a way back when um, I was at a conference where, of course, I talk a lot about conferences. That's where I learned a lot about the whole writing craft. And there was a woman who said that, her kids were taking music lessons and the teacher knew that it was hard to get kids to practice. Mm -hmm. And so she wanted them to practice half an hour a day. Well, if you tell kids they're going to have to practice half an hour a day, the answer is no. Right. So she said five minutes a day because everybody can find five minutes. And what she learned was you go in and, you know, let's say it's the piano. All right. So you get your music, you get yourself all set up, 
and you play for five minutes. But once you've done all that prep work, you keep doing it. So the kids were actually getting in a lot more than five minutes, but it was sort of painless because they were told all, all they had to do were those five minutes. Mm-hmm. And so they did that. So it's, it's sort of the same thing with writing. You've got to find a time yeah, and then see when, how that works best. I mean, which time are you most productive? And you know, you'll, you'll write for more than five minutes because I don't know about you, but five minutes, even half an hour at a time, isn't really enough for me to get into a story. Right. I've got to be immersed in it. And so I really need more uninterrupted time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And it, you know, it's interesting too, like you'll, uh, with me and having the children at home, I'll be writing and then there'll be that interruption, interruption, mama, mama, mama. So <laughs> I've yeah. actually, you know, when you mentioned your priorities, I think f- for me as a mother, I feel like I'm sacrificing my children to write, which doesn't feel like a good idea. But right. what we've done is we've sat down and discussed you will have more mommy time if you give me this 45 minutes of quiet. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. they've learned now that if they don't interrupt for 45 minutes, then they get two hours of me versus little bits of me stretched up, stretched out over three hours. And, and again, that's setting, I mean, that's time management, yeah. whether we call it that or not. But I mean, it's, it's telling your family, you are important. You're much more important than this book is. Right. But I need to get this book written. So help me. Mm-hmm. And then you will benefit. Yes. Third way of doing it. I like that. <laughs> I like how you summarized it. <laughs> help me and you'll benefit. So, well, and hopefully that helps people who are listening, you know, even if you're not a writer, but you're doing something else, different hobbies, or even church ministry. My parents were always involved in church ministries and it's that feeling of, you know, I need to serve versus I need to be home. And sometimes I think we sacrifice our home time and our, for lack of a better word, our self time, you know, self care, uh, because we feel like we need to be serving all the time. But my, I found that my um, contribution to service, the value of it decreases because I'm too tired because I haven't, I haven't balanced it. Exactly. I mean, it's that self care. Yeah. I mean, you know, we hear a lot about people who are caregivers and how they have to take care of themselves. Mm-hmm. Well, to some extent, we are caregivers. I mean, you certainly are as a mother, but even when you're thinking about writing, yeah, and that's important, that is a ministry of a type, but it can't be the only thing we do. You know, we have to take care of ourselves first because then we're more productive with everything else. It's like your story with your children. They give you 45 minutes and they get two hours. Right. Right. I mean, you know, it's a really good payback. <laughs> it is. It's a good payback for them. And it's a good payback for me because then I can give them that time without feeling like I'm not accomplishing what I need to. Yeah. And you're getting, you're getting your writing done and it gives you a big enough chunk of time that you can do it. Right. right. Without sacrificing your family and obviously they're more important than any story and you know your stories are wonderful but if I had to pick between you having well-adjusted happy children and a great book for me to read right you have to come first 100 percent, 100 percent. so with your books now you spend approximately how long to complete a novel because I know readers will want to know that um 
Between six and nine months. Okay. Um, I write and other writers shudder when they hear about my way of writing because I'm a plotter. Okay. So I do, I do a synopsis. Then I do a chapter by chapter outline, which tells me what are the scenes that are going to happen in each one. And I play around with that. You know, I want to make sure, especially with subplots mm -hmm. or in, in the case of the spark of love, you know, with those two villains, I need to make sure that they appear on the scene often enough that readers don't go, hmm, and who was that, you know? Yeah, yeah. So that's the, the chapter by chapter outline does that. Then I sit down and I write the first draft. And I refer to that as the skeleton. Okay. It's like those things that you see at Halloween. It's ugly. <laughs> and I hate it. But you can't have a body without the bone structure underneath it. And that's what my first draft is. Then I go back and I do the second draft. This is where we put the flesh and blood on it. Mm -hmm. And this part I love. My husband says it's because I'm an editor at heart. Ah. And they, there may be something to that. But it's so much fun at that point. I mean, I just love doing second drafts. So I get through those. Then I do what I call the polishing stage. This is where we do the hair, the makeup, and the accessories. <laughs> it's a final read through with a little bit of, you know, few changes here and there. Sure. Never or very rarely is it anything major because I've already done that. Right. And then it's ready to go to my editor. Mm -hmm. Most of the time. Most of the time. <laughs> so that's that's the process and it works for me. But I remember describing it at one, a luncheon where there were two other authors who were going to talk. And I was in the middle of describing that. And one of them just jumped up out of her seat with the most horrified expression on her face. And she said, oh, I could never do that. How can you write like that? How can anybody write like that? Well, it works for me. Right. Right. Well, and I think too, that's one of those things with writing where everybody has a little bit of their own style. And, and while there's some general, general ideas to follow and boundaries to follow, so much of it is, is ruleless in a way. And it's what works for the individual writers. Right. I hate hearing someone stand up and say, this is the one and only way to write a book. I agree. Mm -hmm. Because it isn't. That mm -hmm. may work for that particular person. But it doesn't work for everybody. No. And so it's it's finding what works for us. Yes. What how to write, when to write, and when to say no. Yeah, exactly. Well, and I will say as a reader that I'm really glad you found time to write. <laughs> well, thank you. Because <laughs> I've thoroughly enjoyed your books. So in closing, um, readers who are listening or, or anybody who's listening, where's the best way for them to find out more about your books and more about you and to follow you as a writer? Uh, my webpage. Okay. AmandaCabot.com. So if you can spell my name, you can find it. I call that my one-stop shopping place because it has information about each of the books, has information about me. Uh, there is an FAQ section which tells people why I write and how I write and that kind of stuff. Um, it, and it lets them sign up for my newsletter, which I send out once a month. Um, it has all my social media links. So I said, one-stop shopping. I love that. It's so much easier than trying to surf 
to the web trying to find all the various places. So that's yeah. great. Well, I am really looking forward to The Spark of Love coming out. It's coming out on March 1st from Ravel Publishing. And from what I've seen, you can order it just about anywhere you like to order your favorite novel. Mm -hmm. So we're looking forward to that. And thank you so much for coming on and talking about work-life balance. It's it's not talked about enough, I think, for all of us to realize that, that, that it, is, it is okay to balance. It is okay. You have to. And, and sometimes you have to say no. Right. I can't do this. Right. Absolutely. Thanks so much for inviting me. This was fun. Yes, and, uh, let's do it again sometime. Absolutely. Your next release next year would be great. Okay. We'll <laughs> Thanks, plan on it. All right. Sounds good. Thank you for listening to Madlit Musings. You can find out more information about Madlit and all that it has to offer at madlitmentoring.com. That's madlitmentoring.com. Or check out more about Jamie Jo Wright at jamiewrightbooks.com. <laughs>